And welcome to Battle of the Atom. It is the weekly X-Men podcast where I, Zach Jenkins, and my co-host, Adam Reck, sit around and talk about three X-Men stories from all of X-Men history and put them on our list of best to worst X-Men stories. It's like the thing I have on my website about characters, but with stories because everyone loves lists. (laughs) It's a great idea. Adam, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing just as well as the other three minutes ago. In (laughs) case you remember from last week, we're still batch recording these because of timelines. And it's working great. It is working great. We're We're just nailing them. So we've got got three stories to get through today, don't we? Yeah, and I... I would argue three good ones. You know, we we might be able to argue a little bit about that. But there's uh, people who are going to argue that one of these is. I yes, I know which one. <laughs> They're going to think that it is way worse than I think we do. Probably, probably. <laughs> we, good. Maybe we should jump into it then. Sure. Uh, our podcast is called Battle of the Atom mm-hmm. because it was a good name, and also because the, I like Battle of the Atom. The, yeah. the 2013 X-Men crossover between Uncanny X-Men, All-New X-Men, Regular Adjectiveless X-Men, and Wolverine and the X-Men. Are you going to give a shot to the creative teams on this? It's endless. It was a 10-issue series oh. with a lot of creators. The primary ones, Brian Michael Bendis, Jason mm-hmm. Aaron, Brian Wood, with art duties by Frank Chow, Stuart Eminen, Chris Bachelot, David Lopez, Giuseppe Camacoli. He has a very Italian name that I cannot pronounce. I like that. But Assad Ribic also did art on this, and it's not credited anywhere. That's weird. He He's not credited for number 10? No. Well, number 10 got crazy because it's credited that uh, Bendis wrote it, but Aaron actually wrote it. And it's credited art to somebody else, and it was actually Ribic. So uh, strange. So 10 was like on a weird time crunch and then they went to Saad Ribic, which doesn't make sense because, I mean, Secret Wars was delayed by six months or whatever. <laughs> it's, I, and I think, you know, we were, you were just joking about the idea that, you know, maybe this isn't the best loved thing, but it really starts so strong and ends <laughs> so disjointed. Um, you like Battle of the Atom. I do like Battle of the Atom. So- I do too. So I really got back into X-Men with the Bendis run. I had read I'd read Gillen's stuff through uh through AVX. I liked it, but I was on the Marvel subscription. Like it got sent to my house. Oh, okay. Cuz I was I was in college, I didn't have any comic stores around me and I didn't know how they worked. Yeah. So it got sent to my house and my subscription just ran out at like issue 3 of all new X-Men and I just never re-upped. Mhm. And then I uh, went to a comic book shop with one of my friends from college right before I graduated. And the guy was like, oh, yeah, X-Men's super good. You should read that. And I said, okay. And I got back into it, and I loved it. But Battle of the Atom came out. I got married. Battle of the Atom was, came out, I think, issue – no, it had it started after I got married. And then we were super poor for, like, three months, and I didn't buy comics. 
So I got halfway through Battle of the Atom and I had to stop. <laughs> Some people might say that's a good thing. <laughs> I don't. Battle of the Atom's cool. It's a X-Men story with a bunch of time travel, a bunch of talks about who everyone's kids are, yeah. a bunch of drama, and at the end of the day, it's all about Jean Grey. Mm-hmm. And that's like all of X-Men right there. Yeah, there is some really great stuff here. I, I, I think one of the things that I'm similar to you and that I got really invested back into the, uh, the franchise with the Bendis era and to see Stuart Eminem's work here, to see Chris's, uh, the work here, um, you know, the art Adams covers, this feels important, you know? Yeah, it, it does. You know, it's a 10 part multi-series crossover. It has a big feel to it. Um, you know, there's also, like you just mentioned, there's some super, super great elements here. I personally love the future brotherhood. I oh, yeah. love the future X-Men that are introduced in this whole thing. Um, I think what might leave the bad taste in people's mouths might be the, I think there was a promise going into this, at least, you know, maybe from a, an advertising perspective that we were going to get some answers about the O five, and those did not come out of this story. Um, nope. aside from they can't go back. Um, you know, there, there does seem to be some push pull with the creative teams here in terms of uh, what the ongoing, you know, overall story is here. Would you agree with that? Yeah. So the history of this, uh, from what I, I've been able to found, it was actually pitched by Aaron. It was, it was oh, one of his ideas. That's interesting. Yeah. Cause it feels like it should be a Bendis thing. Absolutely. But it, it wasn't, it was Jason Aaron who went with it. And I don't know, Battle of the Atom, I think, my issues with Battle of the Atom more come from what happened because of it, not because of what it is. Because it completely derails Brian Wood's X-Men run. That Absolutely. had four issues in it at the time. In yeah, fact, what there issue was this crossing over with? Five and six. That's it crazy. was five and six. And then he derailed it more because his follow-ups to that first arc weren't good. Mm-hmm. But uh, So that got weird. It was right after the uh, Hellfire Academy stuff with uh, all new, or not all new, uh, with Wolverine and... Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was a follow-up for the stuff in All New and Uncanny. But it just, it puts everyone in a weird place at the end of it. Kitty Pride at the end, leaves the school for kind of dubious reasons that no one believed her when she said, I don't trust these guys from the future. <laughs> I think that is a, is a key point in this story. Um, and I don't know whether it's just the mix of the creative teams or the publishing schedule, what it was, but there is something very strange as you read through it. If you read it all in a batch, um, you, maybe if you read it month to month, that this may not have like been a big issue, um, or, or week to week. I, I remember the publishing schedule of this being pretty fast. It was just two months. Yeah. yeah. And there were issues that came out on the same day. Like I think two and or three and four came out the same day. Maybe okay. I don't remember, but I don't it, actually remember. And it was in the summer. So I, I get the impression that like, there just may have been some lapses in communication because there seem to be elements from issue to issue that repeat themselves. There's a lot of, um, you know, let's collect ourselves. And there's a lot of big quote unquote, I'll put this in quotes, big decision-making from the characters that it doesn't always make sense. You're not sure why a character did something other than just to advance 
the story so that another group can chase after those characters or they can confront them in some way later. So that by the time you get to something like Kitty doesn't trust, uh, you know, the Jean Grey school anymore, you know, and she's going to run off with the O5 to the uh, uncanny team. You're not really sure why she's doing it necessarily. Yeah, it's I think I think this could have been fixed by being seven issues long. Like mm. yet yet cut, cut yet cut some crap from it and it's better. Like I think you say, Hey Brian Wood, we're gonna let you sit this one out. Keep going your story. That gives you two issues out of it. And maybe you only do one of Wolverine and because it doesn't care about those characters. And it's so interesting to me that I never knew that this was an Aaron pitch because it feels so much like it could have just been an uncanny and all new crossover and that would have been fine. Right. And whoever on Twitter is going to at me about where I found that, I don't know. It was in the past. <laughs> I read a lot of X-Men journalism. Zach's an expert, stuff. damn it. He knows his stuff. Good hey, man. that's our first swear. Good job. <laughs> and it was a mild one, too, everybody. I think I, Did I say damn in the last episode? Maybe not. I don't know. No, I think he said, I don't know. We'll keep it PG. Uh... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't think we actually ever talked about that. We'll figure that out later. But we've done very good so far. Um, can I talk about one highlight here? Um, yes. The, the, one of the scenes that I absolutely love uh, is the reveal of why the X-Men, the future X-Men, then become the future Brotherhood, which is Dazzler for president. I, yeah. I love that. And I don't know if it's just because Eminem is doing it, but... Oh, it's gorgeous. It's his gorgeous. Here, and, you know... I thought it, it might be wise just to take a second to say that, you know, not a huge fan of, uh, you know, Frank, you said Chow. I've always said show. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Uh, you know, his, his trollish behavior, but that first issue is, is gorgeous as well. Um, you can't he's argue with the fact that guy knows how to draw. Yeah. He's just, he's just a dingus about it. <laughs> um, agreed. Uh, but you know, there's some really beautiful moments in this story. So I, I like revisiting it. I, I think it's good. Yeah. Should we try and rank it? I like it better than deadly Genesis. I I'll do say too. that for sure. Big time. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I don't think it's better than the dupe issue. Okay. I, I think that's my ceiling right now. Like yeah. that dupe issue is solid from start to finish. And this one has some bumps in the road. Now we still have giant size at three, correct? Yeah, we do. Okay, uh, so all right, now we're gonna uh, uh, maybe um, <laughs> bring on the ire here. <laughs> so when when we when we put the uh, dupe ahead of giant size, the criteria that I used at least was: mm-hmm. does this accomplish its the goal of its story well? And I think Battle of the Atom struggles with that. I, I think agree. that's the I think that's the core thing. Giant size X Men number one does a better job at bringing all these new characters in setting things up so i i think it goes under but battle of the atom also has future molly hayes uh those future brotherhood and future x-men i mean i when i saw on the first issue of x-men blue that the future brotherhood work is going to come back i i haven't had this reaction to a comic book in years i literally was like yeah (laughs) cullen bond loves bringing stuff back that's why I, I like him. Like, I cannot wait for that arc when that occurs. Um, yep. So, you know. So good. There's some really so good, good stuff here. I think four is appropriate. Um, number four between Giant Size X-Men number one and Deadly Genesis. Yep. Battle of the Atom. All right. Our next book 
Adam, you're excited about this one. I'm very excited about this one. Um, what is this one? All right. So the next book on the list is Excalibur Mojo Mayhem. Um, and Zach, as you know, uh, I didn't really gush over this with the Battle of the Atom covers, but I am a huge Art Adams fan. I love right. his stuff. Um, but almost the majority of you know the back issues that I go out of my way to collect involve him in some way. Um, be it, you know, the covers, be it the interiors, whatever it is. Um, really nice guy. I've had a pleasure of meeting him a couple of times at cons. Um, but I love Mojo Mayhem. Um, and I say this, it's called Excalibur, but it's not really much of an Excalibur story. It's much more of the next issue of long shot. So it picks up with, um, and also it continues the X-Baby storyline of all things from the X-Men annuals. The uh, X-Babies are the best bad idea. I, yeah. I mean, they should never work. The X-Babies should not work. Um, you know, and the fact that Ricochet Rita from the long shot mini is, is pretty much the protagonist in this aside from Kitty. Um, you know, I, I love mojo storylines um i'm very excited that they've announced uh that the one of the x-men marvel legacy things is going to be a mojo world crossover um i i i sincerely love this kind of wacky self-referential meta storytelling and the basic premise of this book is that mojo is sending the agent uh, that is the villain of the book to go and sign the X babies so that they can be the prisoners of, uh, of the Mojo verse. Um, it's a great idea. It's a great premise. Um, you know, the agent then pretends to be all these different people to, to try and get them to sign. And there's a, a little bit of needling here of, um, of, you know, the whole Marvel structure. Uh, there's a page in particular here where, um, Ricochet Rita and the X babies come upon this, this huge complex, um, which some of the letters are missing, but it is the house of ideas and it's covered in crossover titles, you know? So there's this little nudging about, you know, Marvel's decision-making and its business practices. And well, yeah, go ahead. It's not just Marvel here. Cause there's invasion right. on here. There's dark side's head is in, in that uh it says crisis on one of the buildings like they're they're pushing the whole comic book industry here absolutely and you see claremont dip into um this meta and humorous style and it, it doesn't always work you know I, I think particularly about the issue that Leifold did um that comes after the uh australian x-men at the mall oh you're um, talking about men yeah, You're men. talking about men. Yeah, which to me, like, we should probably put that on the list at some point. We're going to put that on the list, and you and me are going to have some disagreements, I can already tell. Yeah, like, I, I feel like sometimes uh, Claremont's comedy, it, it works a little bit more than other times. I feel like it's working really, really well here. I think another real plus to this book is that, um, you know, he's not taking himself seriously at all. He's no. in this book. Uh, you know, his favorite band is in this book. His friends are in this book and it's, it's sincerely designed to just be similar to annuals, which is another thing that I'm a big fan of. It's just oh, yeah. fun. Yeah. This is, this is a fun little story. It's got gorgeous, gorgeous art. Adams art. I'm flipping through it right now. Uh, the uh, inks by uh, Terry Austin work really well. It's got Glennis Oliver uh, colors yep. and uh, you know, same Glennis Oliver 
maiden whose maiden name was Glennis Wine, the uh, person who did all of Giant Size number one. Like this is a very classic team doing all the work on X on X Men stuff. This is great. I mean, there's some stuff that I don't love. There's a weird kitty's running around in her underwear. A couple of pages that's like, okay, guys. She's young. Let's try not to sexualize it. <laughs> Dang it. I stole that from Jay and Miles. I am sorry, guys. They stole that from Community, touch. so I don't feel bad. Yeah. But um, it's cool. I do like the... Uh, so I do like the stuff with uh, Ricochet Rita because it really throws her on the path to becoming Spiral. Yes. In this, this is when she goes back for the X-Babies, which is... It's cool. I like it. I like seeing it. This is a fun little story. I think in a, the same way as No More No More Humans, it's inconsequential. Sure. But I think this does a way better job than No More Humans of being something I want to go back to. Yeah, I and I find myself going back to wacky annuals. I find myself going back to, you know, one shots like this that you don't this is an interesting era of Marvel that they're willing to do things like this. You know, the Marvel graphic novel, the the one shots, the mini series that, you know, I believe that was one of the the little sound bites that came out of um, that disastrous, um, you know, press attended uh, summit that Marvel did um, was that I think Feig said, or not Feig, um, who's uh, David Gabriel. Someone and... at the meeting said something like, you know, if a, if a series isn't going to last more than four issues, that's, that's like the death knell. And, you know, I like that there was a certain point where the, the company was willing to just make fun stuff like this, which... Well, and I I think they've, they've turned on that a bit recently. Like, the uh, Spirits of Vengeance story that's coming out, that's a mini. Mm-hmm. That's a five-issue mini. Yeah, that's part of so, Legacy, right? That's coming out? Yeah. yeah. So, I think I think they're changing. Uh, hey, it, it's going to be what it's going to be as a business model, but um, I yearn for, for stuff like this. I, I think it's great that it exists. Um, where would you rank it? Ah, that's a good one. This is super enjoyable. So what it reminds me a lot of the dupe one shot that we're talking mm-hmm. about. It's a funny, inconsequential look at a corner of the X-Men universe that fans love and everyone else is befuddled by. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't give this to anybody as like, hey, this is the X-Men. Like, uh, this is the, hey, you've been reading X-Men for a while. You're someone who's real, real into the Toys R Us X-Men special that was made in the 90s. Here, read this. You're going to love it. By the way, we're going to rank that Toys R Us special, oh, even if I just have to talk about it. I don't know. Uh, Look in every dollar bin. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll figure something out. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's as good as the dupe one. Like, that dupe one is Michael Allred at the top of his game. No, which no. is really close to Art Adams at the top of his game, but I don't think this is the best Art Adams. No, stuff. there's definitely better. Um, I think some of the annual stuff tops this, but yeah, um, I don't think it's better than Giant Size. Do you? I think it's better than I think it's better than Battle Battle of the Atom. All right, already ranked then, today. Then that's where it's gonna go. It's gonna all right. It's gonna squeeze in between Giant Size and Battle. Our new number four Excalibur Mojo Mayhem. Yeah. Not Mojo Madness. No, nope, sorry about that. Unlike someone tried to convince me of. Yeah, I think I think I uh, was doing that from memory. All right. Okay. Now you said that this last story, you have a lot to say. Uh, We're which... gonna scroll up for this one. <laughs> this is this is what I feel strongly about. This is Wolverine Volume One, issues one through four, 
which is all the issues of that volume, mm-hmm. by Chris Claremont and Frank Miller. Dude, I'm not a guy who reads Wolverine solos. Okay. I, I don't read a lot of Wolverine solo stuff. Like, the fact that all new Wolverine is still on my poll list is solely because it's really good. Like, I there's that's a huge gap for me. I've barely read any of Wolverine solo stuff because I just don't necessarily enjoy it. No, I'm the same way. I have not read the bulk of you know, what comes after this and the Wolverine patch stuff um, just because it seems superfluous. I, I'm much more a fan of, you know, Wolverine jungle adventure or um, I don't know, trying to think of some of the other weird ones that just kind of pop up. Yeah. Uh, this though, this is Claremont and Frank Miller mm-hmm. in 1983, I think. Yep. Uh, it's two of the best creators of the eighties at the top of their game. You get, Claremont getting to do cool family dynamic stories. You get Frank Miller getting to draw ninjas, which is the <laughs> only thing the man should ever be allowed to do. I'm pretty sure that's in my notes. Ninjas as big as I mean, life. Some, somehow Frank Miller's less racist against ninjas than he is anything else. Mm. Like he wrote Ronin, which was super good. Mm-hmm. He got uh, the hand, I guess all of the Marvel ninjas. Yeah. <laughs> like, Frank Miller is so stellar on this. In that last fight, that fight in issue four between, uh, oh, shoot, what's his name? Yashida's. Uh, Shinjin? Shinjin, yeah. Shinjin Yashida. Uh, Shinjin versus Wolverine with the katanas? It is like Claremont just knows, oh, wait, Frank Miller's the best at this. Yeah, let's this let him is... just have these three pages to kill it. <laughs> it's silent, it's perfect. Well, and it very heavily, the trade that I have pairs this with the Paul Smith issues. Yeah, yeah. And which makes a lot of sense. Um, but you can see that maybe even that sequence might have had an influence on him. I mean, I don't know if he w- was able to see these pages before he did the uh, Silver Samurai fight. That's that's also mm-hmm. a classic scene uh, from Uncanny. But, you know. This... Like, Paul, Paul Smith is one of the best artists in X-Men history. Yeah. Pairing that's, yeah, that Silver Samurai fight, I'm flipping to it in my trade too. That fight from uh, Uncanny X-Men 173 versus Wolverine number four. It's just not fair. Mm. You're you're talking about, you know, someone who's amazing versus someone who's unquestionably the best at this. Yeah. This is so good. Also, I don't think that that's the best Paul Smith fight. No, of course not. We all know what the best Paul Smith is. Yes. Yeah. Storm versus Callisto. (laughs) Yeah. Does not get better than that. But that is a it is a a runner up for that. I mean, it's it's a really beautiful uh, set of panels there. Right. Um, And I guess the only other thing I really want to get into about the story is how it gets into Logan's mind. mm. Like you talk about, they talk about Logan as a samurai, as a ronin, as a wandering warrior without a cause, and that just it never gets codified as well as it does here. You want to draw a through line from the Wolverine that was fighting Hulk in one or two random issues that I've actually never read. I don't know. That... Uh, to me, Wolverine, Wolverine starts at giant size number one. Now, and I definitely read that. that at some point, but I, I don't think I own it currently. So yeah. Uh, but you can draw a through line from that Wolverine to dark phoenix saga where they finally figure out what wolverine does and how he's the best at what he does and that it's not very nice (laughs) it's not 
And then they go to here. And then it's perfect because every other Wolverine story, everything you ever want to do comes out of this. Old Man Logan comes out of this. Absolutely. The the introspectiveness. Like, you don't think of Wolverine as a smart, deep character, but so much about Wolverine is about how he thinks. And the way that Claremont writes it. Claremont, who's a guy who says a lot of words, and that's been a joke since, like, 73. I'm kidding, 76. It's, it's pretty minimal but, here. He, he knows that for Wolverine, if you've got a five-word sentence, that's wordy for the guy. Mm-hmm. He keeps it so tight. It's fantastic. This is one of my favorite X-Men stories of all time. I love the art. It's Frank Miller being amazing. It's Chris Claremont holding back and knowing how to collaborate, which he struggled with, especially some of his late era stuff. He struggles with mm. like God loves man kills too. He struggles with it. Yeah, it's like, who is that character? <laughs> it's not, not really identifiable. One of the things that I, I wrote in my notes here is that this mini series is um, I think the term I use was pre ubiquitous Wolverine. Um, yeah. One of the things I love about this mini was that Wolverine disappeared from uncanny X-Men to settle this little feud before he then came back and invited the X-Men to Japan. So there was, you know, I I go back and forth on being like a, a continuity nerd, um, but I did love that. Uh, I do have a certain amount of nostalgia for the editor's note. You know, this takes place before this. And, you know, this is where this character's been. Uh, you know, this made sense, um, which I don't necessarily think that the patch series makes any sense um so i think this series does two things um it it, um humanizes wolverine um which is what you were just speaking about but i think it also does something which is very tempting which had not been done before this mini and it leads to a lot of different wolverine stories which is similar to what you know I, i think a comparison can be made to batman you can make him whatever you want you know we're going to make Wolverine into a ninja. We're going to make him later on into a spy. We're going to make him into a caveman, you know, and it doesn't necessarily matter. You can put Wolverine into any kind of story. And this kind of sets the precedent for that because, you know, there is some ties back to, you know, the Marico stuff that happened in uncanny, but this really sets a, a new standard for what Wolverine can be and what he will be able to be for the rest of his, <laughs> I'll say the word life, but you know, we know that's not forever. Rest in peace, homie. Uh, but no, that brings up a uh, two big thoughts from my end. One is that how did it take till old man Logan for people to say, Hey, cowboy Wolverine would yeah. be good. <laughs> yeah. Like I know he's always worn a cowboy hat, but we never had a straight up. This is cowboy Wolverine story that's until a very then. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> And two, I mean, you you bring up the Batman, and Frank Miller is incredibly well-known for 1986, The Dark Knight Returns, and 1987, Batman Year One, which are two of the most important comic book stories to ever happen. Mm -hmm. And you can, like, reading through this, just flipping through a couple of pages of it again, this influences The Dark Knight Returns so much. It's... I can't overstate just how big this is. It gets that introspectiveness into the heart of the character, finding someone who's out of their place and doesn't have a spot in this world and doing something unique with them. 
Sure. Oh, I like this series. It's creating a lot. A, it's creating an entire brand within just four issues. Would you agree with yeah. that? I mean, it sets up uh, a, a yeah. whole other angle to the quote unquote X-Men universe that was not there before. Oh yeah. This is some good stuff. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say it's definitely better than the dupe issue. Yep. Is, I, is it better than God loves man kills? I'm, I would stop short of saying it's better than God loves man kills. Um, because we are talking about ranking X-Men stories and this is one X-Men. Um, and maybe this is just my personal prejudice because I am not a huge, 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 like Wolverine is my favorite X-Men and guy. I know some people live and die by Logan. Um, I think, you know, he's overexposed. Uh, you know, I liked, I like Wolverine as mysterious um, and searching for the past as opposed to, you know, everywhere and everything um but this is this is very very good wolverine's overrated but wolverine's still pretty good oh yeah like, absolutely i love wolverine he's, got, he's a man whose power is he has six knives always <laughs> and if you stab him he just keeps stabbing yeah, yeah. it's great he, I, he, I would say for all time uh, classics, um, th- this would fall for me number two on our list for right now because I, I still think that God Loves Man Kills is this amazing distillation of you know the mutant metaphor and things that are are crucial to what X Men is all about. Whereas Wolverine with Frank Miller is a a, a character defining detour um, that then folds back into continuity. All right. I don't, I don't think I'm – here's here's the thing. I think that Wolverine as a story, as a as a story, is better than God Loves Man Kills. Interesting. I think that okay. – I think you make a very good argument that as a X-Men story, God Loves Man Kills is better. Yeah. So I – and, you know, this is us, all the X-Men stories, all the stories about the children of the Atom battling it out. <laughs> And I think that I think that the argument it t- can be made that God Loves Man Kills is better. I don't hold to that, but I also really like Frank Miller's stories about ninjas. Yeah. So that works in my favor, but I, <laughs> I think I can concede to Wolverine, Volume 1, the story about Wolverine going to Japan being the uh, number two story on our list. Okay. All right. I know that that may be a hard pill, uh, there, but I, I, I do think that, you know, if we're, if our, uh, objective is ultimately X-Men, then this could, you know, stay at the number two slot for a very long time. It's really good. Um, like, you know, our one, two is real stat. It's so interesting that you are, are so taken by this because, you know, I remember coming, uh, to early Frank Miller via, 90s frank miller you know i think my first frank miller might have been sin city um reading it far too young you know i probably should not have been reading (laughs) sin city um and then reading electra lives again which is my all-time favorite frank miller story um that is an absolutely beautiful large format book that i i treasure um but again this is wonderful as well so all right i yeah 
It's good. Yeah. I'm really I'm really upset that Frank Miller stopped making any comics after the mid nineties and definitely didn't do anything super racist, right? Oh, you know, I, I can't think of anything really weird or just, you know, like uh, career uh, marring that he may have done. <laughs> oh uh, man, poor guy. Poor hey, guy. Hey, he's still around and I mean the Shadow was a bad movie. He man, poor Frank Miller. The spirit. I'm sorry, I made that mistake yesterday too. He directed the spirit, not the shadow. Oh, okay. Uh, but this is not a weird pulp movies podcast. This <laughs> is an X-Men podcast. And if you like X-Men stuff, you can mosey on over to my website, XavierFiles.com, where I have weekly articles about different X-Men characters. Uh, if you really enjoy all the stuff that I'm doing with Xavier Files, with Battle of the Atom, with Legion Quest, uh, which is my other podcast that I have not plugged in the first two episodes. I was going to say, you haven't mentioned Legion Quest, which is great. I haven't. We're on hiatus because the show is on hiatus. Mm, good reason. Yeah, it's tough. We got a new episode coming up for SDCC, which will be old by the time you all hear this. But go download it, uh, which I do with I do that with Matt Sibley from Newsarama. Uh, anyway, where was I? Oh, yeah, all that stuff. It's funded by Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash Xavier Files, we have, you know, for as little as a dollar, cool rewards you can get. You can cut in line for requests. We're going to be retooling some stuff for Battle of the Atom, so there will be some new rewards there. Uh, take a look. And if you want to chat, talk about X-Men, do anything, uh, hit me up on Twitter.com, at Xavier Files. And Adam, where can people find you online? If you want to uh, see me on Twitter, you can go over to at Arthur Stacy, And then uh, my website is adamrec.tumblr.com, which is where I publish... Uh, my webcomic Bish and Jubes, which also appears on Xavier Files. Thank you for that. Uh, and that that's generally where you can keep an eye on uh, what, what I'm up to. All right. So we had, uh, we're, up, we're up to nine now. We're about to hit double digits next time we do this. <laughs> I, I think we're off to a good start. Yeah, it'll be great. So uh, we will uh, talk to you guys next week. We are still coming up with a catchphrase because, again, we're doing all this in one day. I got to figure out an end thing, but that's for the next recording. Adios. Does adios work? I don't think so. We got to figure something out there. (laughs) We're going to be rambling. Later. Get it!